2: and I see the need for action, I see the need for a great reset.
0: January 18th, 2023. The second day of the meeting at the World Economic Forum. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, Weston. Bruce, let's start with you today. How are you?
4: Healthy and alive, yeah.
0: Glad to hear it. And from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, Weston.
1: How are you today, Weston? Doing great. We're pretty excited this week at Cutting Through the Matrix because uh, we're going to launch a new podcast uh, on Thursday. Looking forward Um, to that. I'm looking forward to that. I look to be subscribing. Yeah. And so it's just an introduction episode this week because it's the first one, but... Yeah, we're gonna do more. We're gonna be talking to other people and so on. So hopefully it will be great.
0: Um, and I hope your behind the scenes planning is going very well since our uh, our last talk. I hope you guys are making progress on that.
1: Yeah, yeah, no. Um, in fact, there's been some exciting developments uh, that we're gonna have. Even there's gonna be more. Um, well, actually, I guess not really more new series, but um, there's definitely going to be more things that we're gonna be posting on the website. And um, besides just the usual excerpts, which I'm you know, I'm also gonna put a, post up another excerpt along with this talk like I normally do. Um, And, but yeah, so we're just extremely busy.
0: Um, really, that's great. Like I said, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to that. And when you guys have that up and running, I'll be subscribing as I say, and I will be, uh, I'll be dropping the plugs here on, uh, on our platform as well for, uh, our listeners to get directed over to you guys. I wish you all the luck in the world and getting that off the ground. Like I said, if you got any questions, comments or whatever, you know, just shoot me or Bruce a, a message and we'll help you out in any way we can. So we Thank wish you guys all the luck in the world and all the success in the world with that. So moving on from that day two, of the World Economic Forum. Where would you like to start? I have some bad news. Klaus Schwab, as I said yesterday, he didn't make the opening ceremony. It's it's a shame. You, you hate to see that, don't you? You hate to see that. I genuinely, as I said yesterday, I was really looking forward to that. I wanted to hear the speech from the man, the executive chairman. I wanted to hear it, even though the whole thing was going to be completely nonsensical and a farce and, and hypocritical and everything else. I still... Wanted to hear it from the horse's mouth. Not to mention Jacinda Ardern, which I don't even know if she's going to be there this year. She's usually an honored guest, but unfortunately, he's not there. And you know who else didn't make it apart from George Soros, Bill Gates. Bill Gates did not make it this year. I'm deeply hurt. I was hoping to see old Bill up there on the stage too, but yet i I'm not going to get I'm not going to get a speech from George Soros. I'm not going to get a speech from Klaus Schwab in the opening. I'm not going to get a speech from Bill Gates. I mean, these things, these are speeches that we can pick apart. Instead, I got to listen to Al Gore. I got to listen to Brian Stelter. I got to listen to John Kerry. And we do have some audio from Klaus today. He was spotted this morning. He met with the uh the Pakistani prime minister, and he was giving a talk about the metaverse, which I think we're gonna talk a little bit about that today. We're gonna to talk a little bit about the um the virtual world that they're trying to create and and actually how they got us to this point in the first place. But yet, I understand the point of the virtual world. I, I see what they're trying to do with it, but at the same time, I also see the company like Facebook, Meta, I, I see them that that have in- introduced it, and it's just not there. It's it's just not popular it's not it's not taken off um and you know bruce you've got some some experience in the whole vr thing as in like you know not spending hours and hours and hours in it but you know more about it than, than you know than i do or i i don't know if weston if you've been in there or not but i haven't no so. i haven't
1: been i've never been in vr okay
0: Well, we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about uh, the climate today. We're going to talk about 15-minute cities today uh, and and all this stuff. And, you know, this is all fascinating conversations that we're going to have. This this is is all going to be topics that you're going to hear the buzzwords for, you know, the 15-minute cities, the climate change, and, and the inclusivity and all that stuff, trust and everything else that these people talk about. But you know what? at the end of it, this is all window dressing, isn't it? That's what this is. This is all window dressing. This is this is a, a, a topic that we can discuss from now until the end of time. Ideologically, we're out in the middle of the field somewhere talking about all this stuff, when in reality, what we need to be doing is we need to be getting back on the road, the main road, and headed to a destination away from these people. What we need to do is we need to be thinking at least the, those of us that are paying attention, those of us that have been eyes up to the situation from the start. We need to be paying attention to where we want to be on the other side of this because we don't want to go down that road, do we? Because I certainly don't. I don't want to be anywhere near that. Mm-hmm. So we need to be putting ourselves above this. But in the meantime, we can discuss these these nonsensical policies because it's just fun, right? We're just gonna we're gonna have fun with that today. Uh, what would you like to start? Like the- Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go jump in there. Go ahead. It sounds
1: sounds like the World Economic Forum uh, has taken a a step down in prestige because now you have people like Brian Stelter, you know, mainstream media, CNN guy, and you have um, Al Gore. I mean, basically, you don't have uh, the, the leading like Klaus Schwab. He's off somewhere meeting the Pakistani prime minister, you said. And then you had, who knows what George Soros and Bill Gates are doing right now, but they just don't see the World Economic Forum as important enough for them anymore. So I think it's like they've sort of of taken a a blow in prestige, almost, I think. This was... Um,
0: This was Klaus this morning, as I said, he was he was spotted backstage um, meeting with the uh, the Pakistani Prime Minister there. Um, and mm-hmm. this, this is, I mean, obviously you can tell that that's this year's because that's the badge. You know, they're they're all about the badges this right. year. They're all proudly displaying their their badges. You know, the uh, the blue cards with the white line. You know, that's the one that'll get you in. Anyway. Uh-huh. Which it's his right. forum supposedly. You know, it's like Henry Kissinger he actually made it. Uh, Kissinger was down mm-hmm. there, uh, advocating yeah. for NATO to, or yeah, for NATO to take Ukraine immediately. Uh, you know, so bring him on as a, as a NATO member, but, uh, anyway, uh, but yeah, they're all about the, uh, the badges, uh, this year. Why Klaus needs one of those. I don't know. I think everybody knows who he is. So why does he need a badge? Yeah. He should get put
1: through well, immediately. Well, everyone, no one could be exempt from the class system. We're all part of the class system and we all have to be, you know, categorized. That's right, I guess. That's right. So uh,
0: I suppose that we can start with, uh, do you want to start with Klaus? Do you just want to, you want to begin there? Sure. All right. Klaus Schwab has his welcoming remarks uh, as he uh, takes the stage here. Again, this was not the opening ceremony, but uh, this is this is what he brought up. uh, And this is this is about five minutes. Okay, so bear with me. All right. And he talks in this point in this clip about how our generation has reached a turning point. And we are on the precipice of what could lead to extinction of the human race. No kidding. No kidding.
2: Thank you Angelic and Amen for this uh, musical opening of the meeting. Your Royal Highnesses, Excellencies, Distinguished Heads of State and Government, Excellencies, Dear Partners and Friends of the World Economic Forum, a very cordial welcome to the 2023 Annual Meeting. We are coming together under the motto Cooperation in a Fragmented World, at the beginning of this year, we are confronted with unprecedented and multiple challenges. First, our global economy is undergoing deep transformation, the energy transmission, the consequences of COVID. The reshaping of supply chains are all serving as catalytic forces for the economic transformation, and the hotspots of this geo-economic remodeling are high inflation, increasing interest rates, and growing national debt. This is particularly hurting low- and middle-income groups, it is exacerbating societal fragmentation. Second, the geopolitical system is also undergoing deep systemic transformation. Internationally, we are moving to what some people would call a messy patchwork of powers. There are superpowers, emerging powers, middle powers, regional powers, rogue states and also large corporate and social media powers, all competing increasingly for power and influence. As a result, the trend is again moving towards increased fragmentation and confrontation. Thirdly, our generation has reached a turning point, confronted by truly existential problems, climate change, exploitation of nature, nuclear possible incidents, or even worse, extreme poverty and viruses. They all can lead to an extinction Of large parts of our global population. And we have seen how much dealing with those risks, such as COVID or global warming, have again fragmented populations. And finally, the fourth industrial revolution offers us tremendous opportunities, but at the same time, technologies as computing, quantum computing, blockchain, genetics and so on, they also could create deep societal fragmentation. We have the ability to collaboratively build a more peaceful, resilient, inclusive, and sustainable world. But to do so, we need to overcome the most critical fragmentation. The most critical fragmentation is between those who take a constructive attitude and those who are just bystanders, observers, and even into the negative, critical and confrontational attitude. But the spirit of Davos is positive, is constructive. It means investing into a greener and therefore more sustainable economy, investing into a more cohesive society by providing everyone with the appropriate skills and opportunities investing into the hard and soft infrastructure that modern societies require. And here in Davos, it means despite all those challenges, it means particularly investing in the spirit and the practice of solving problems through mutual respect and cooperation. We believe that we can do it. That through collective responsibility, innovation, human goodwill, and ingenuity, we have the capacity to turn the challenges into opportunities.
0: Where or where should we begin with this one?
1: He concluded in a similar point that you know Alan you know has talked about before. Like they'll make like. Never let a good crisis go to waste. You know, you got to use the window of opportunity. He sort of said something similar at the end there. And then also he made an interesting comment that there's those people who take the are sort of bystanders or they take the even a negative critical point of view. Whereas, you know, where we here at Davos, our spirit is, you know, we we always solve the problems. You know, we have a constructive point of view. They're constructive.
0: And anybody that doesn't agree with them are confrontational.
1: Yeah. Basically, what he's saying is that the things that his forum promotes are must be's. And it's like the agendas that his former proponent are must be's, and anyone who doesn't like it basically is uh, is is very negative and not solving the world's problems. Basically, you're against the you're just uh, making things worse. This
0: entire thing and though. So- Is is based everything that he's talking about? Every single thing that he's up there spouting off about this entire thing is based on the Hegelian dialectic of problem, reaction, solution. This entire thing Mm -hmm. he's talking about supply chains, he's talking about inflation, he's talking about all these different crises threatening. But you can't do anything about. Which you can't do anything about. Yeah. And you're talking more than four. He listed more than four crises there. And then at the end, he's threatening you with death saying, well, this is going to be a large scale extinction event because of all these things. Again, something that you can't do anything about. Then the point that he went to that you were just mentioning about the uh, constructive attitudes and the uh, confrontational attitudes. I mean, all of these things, they're the ones that have created all of this at least on the surface that we see. I mean, this is, this is again, you know, this is this is what we're meant to see. This is this group and this agenda that's being pushed out to the front. It's literally that. It's a front. That's what it's designed to do. They're being confrontational while saying that they're being constructive and you're confrontational, if you question
1: it. Yeah. I mean, if, I mean, like you look at something, like look at all the different problems and crisis that he's, he's brought up. In effect, uh, you... The only way you could survive, like basically the only way you know, an individual person could you know, survive is if these agendas don't go forward. Like the climate change agenda, it's not sustainable to have you continue to live and exist as at least not certainly at the same standard of living as you've been living. And so in fact these crises that he brings up, these problems that he brings up they, that he feels needs to be solved, necessarily the solution necessarily involves pretty well forcing large portions of the population to go extinct. So you're you're stuck in a you know you're trapped. You can't really uh, escape your fate if you if if you believe that the all these problems you know as they are presented. Also another thing that and I I was listening to an old Allen talk and he made he mentioned this point. You know the word I can reform the WEF. You know it's 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 few. If you look at it backwards, it's few backwards. And and the reason why it's few backwards or like WF is few backwards is because the reason why they named it that. It's because all it's designed, it's a system designed that where all the wealth goes to the few. And then, you know, the, the people at the bottom are left, you know, whatever the, the, their overlords decide that they are going to allow them to have. And that's, that's pretty much the summary of what their agenda, the effect of their agenda is ultimately going
4: to be. Bruce, your thoughts on the, uh, the executive chairman's opening speech there? I, I especially liked um, the various problems, like when he was talking about economic change or uh, the, the reforming of it. I I especially liked all the uh, various problems that are triggering the economic transformation. All of those are fabricated. Not one of those problems are an actual like uh, genuine. This just happened. We were une- It was unexpected. No, all of these were planned. The energy crisis planned. Mm-hmm. Logistical issues planned pandemic I argue planned all the stuff that we've had problems with were planned instances um the only one that you could say is it was planned but kind of not like the Ukraine right Russia Ukraine mm-hmm. that was planned but it was uh it when you get into war stuff it's I, I I take a little bit of a lighter stance on that one because it's like one side could plan it and then it just gets exploited you know don't let any crisis go to waste so This one may not have been planned to the same levels that the other ones were uh, by the same people, if you will. Uh, But I think it was planned nonetheless. And then you get into the other things he talks about. Those are all planned instances. This is all being engineered to try to to push us into this uh, fourth industrial revolution that he's talking about. Uh, So, yeah, I I especially liked that part of it.
1: Yeah, the transition that he's uh, the economic transition. And, you know, that he's, he's talking about, none of these things are popular, like the the digital currencies, the, the whole blockchain idea. I mean, no one even understands blockchain, really. I mean, I mean, there are some people to do, but it really, it's, it's, it's literally been made difficult to understand. I remember when blockchain was first coming out, Alan was reading articles about it. He's like, I can't make heads or tails of this. It's all a bunch of gibberish because they, they weren't willing to explain a, it. To anybody.
0: He was a very well-read, um, very well-researched individual. So, I mean, he would dig down into something. I mean, dig. Yeah. And if if he couldn't figure
1: out the complexity of that, then how do they expect Because the It was deliberately warded to confuse you. Yeah. Like yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. And um, and then let's see what else. What, what are, uh like the uh, the of course then you have the the smart technologies, the surveillance, which is stepping up. I think we linked an article on Sunday on that. Like the surveillance systems, they're just continuing to expand even further and further. I think in in London they have the ultra low emissions zone that they're trying to expand to outer London. Sadiq Khan and Part of that is that they have to have more surveillance so they can you know, keep track of all the different people who are leaving and entering and leaving the city, leaving the area so they can, you know, charge you 12.5 pounds or whatever it is. If you go over your limit, each time you go over your limit of how, how, how much you're allowed to travel. And remember, UK is the most surveilled society in the world, especially London. I think London has like the most security cameras in the world or something. And they are just just keep on expanding it. And the other countries are doing similar, just not quite as advanced as as, as London is, but the, I mean, the other, it's, it's the same all over the world. I think even uh, Rwanda, like, the, the is one of the lighthouse countries of the World Economic Forum, and even in Rwanda, they had like a mobile payments, like a digital type payment system going up. They're trying to implement, you know, like countries they wouldn't even think would be trying to implement, you know, digital only type payments like, the, yeah. you know, Nigeria
0: so. was a test was ground for
1: them. Yeah, Nigeria yeah. was a was a test
0: ground for them. They tried it. Uh, they had the reason they tested it in Nigeria. I remember seeing the uh, the statistics on this and Nigeria was one of the countries in the world that had the largest uptake of Bitcoin usage, as in mm-hmm. the, the population. Population down there, they really took to it. I, I want to say it was it was an overwhelming number. It was like in the like the seventy to eighty percentile range of the population that actually believed in it and, and understood it and knew how to use it. And they would, mm-hmm. but they tried to implement the digital currency through their central bank in Nigeria, and they said, "Well, we're going to try this because." we've had such an uptake of cryptocurrency, so we're going to see how the population responds to this. It bombed. It, it bombed miserably. It, it was it was a dismal mm-hmm. failure. It ended up being 1 in 25 was the uptake on it. The reason is, is because it came with restrictions. People didn't want the government and the central bank to know what their transactions were all about. They don't want to have a, a jack system shoved up. Well, not, <laughs> it's a family show. <laughs> I, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not going to go there, but they, they don't want the higher ups or the few, if you will, as you mentioned, they, they don't want those people to know what they're doing. And that's just common sense. I don't care that some uh, some moron that was born with a celestial silver spoon in her mouth is sitting up there on a stage in Davos saying, well, the future of government is financial rule because that's going to give us clarity. No, lady, that's going to give you abject
1: control over a population. I'm not interested in giving and you any of my data. In China, with the, the thing that they have there and the protests that have been going on recently about the recent, because they're still, they got another lockdown there. In fact, Haas from the CFR, he said his predictions for 2023, you know, China's going to, they want to attack Ta- Taiwan and they want to take over Taiwan, but they're not going to because uh, they're, ha- they're going to be bo- bogged down by this COVID, absurd COVID cases. So even the CFR is like, yeah, it's going to be busy with this one. But the... the um, was that the yeah, restrictions Haas? there are such for Richard Haas of the CFR? Richard, okay. All right. Just I'm just making sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you we posted an article on this on Sunday, but the if you look at what's going on in China, they basically they're getting people who will go or like they'll try to travel somewhere, you know, for um to protest, and then they'll get, you know, okay, like are suddenly their badge will turn red, or it's like suddenly they'll uh they'll be turn yellow and they need to get tested and you know, or something. And then of course you know, even though they get tested negative in one area, like, you know, they'll, they'll have to do it again and then they'll be red. And basically what people are realizing is that the government is arbitrarily using this to basically halt the movements of people and make them quarantine. People they don't like, people who they know are going to, because they have massive surveillance, they know they're going to do things that the government doesn't want them to do. And so they're just like, well, we'll just uh, put your, make your pass red and we'll force you to go stop. And uh, you can imagine with central bank digital currency. And it's already like this. You 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 heard about the you know, January six people having their bank accounts frozen. You know, had the, the Canadian truckers having their bank accounts frozen. Uh, but with C- central bank digital currency, if, uh, one currency is all currencies to hide to the central bank. If the central bank has all control of the currency, you say, well, we don't like you. We don't like what you do. We don't like what you say. And so uh, your bank accounts frozen. You know, I mean that that'll get you to stop because you
4: need to travel, or certainly can't afford to feed yourself or anything. So I mean, that's well, It it, it ties into the whole metaverse, uh, you know, VR and also social media in general. They're already tracking you as an example. This is kind of a a story that's been brought up multiple times by uh, mostly conservative speaking uh, individuals. But uh, talking about uh, there was a uh, well, she was underage at the time. I think she was like 16 years old. uh, Some dude's daughter. She was getting advertisements in the mail and all kinds of stuff for Ah uh, basically from the 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 local grocery store the it was a chain uh for like diapers and that's stuff that you would you would need for if if you were pregnant you know maternity stuff. The dad was angry about that and addressed it with the grocery store uh or the you know Walmart or kmart or something like that and uh come to find out his daughter was hiding the fact that she was pregnant and the the grocery stores knew that before he did just based upon her buying habits or what she was just looking at where she was in the store so that was god that was that was easily six eight years ago uh when that happened do you think that was and target was the store because i remember a story like that but it, 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 could be, it could have been target yeah that yeah. that's very possible uh so they they're already doing that in the if you just have a centralized system to link all those all the data coming in uh, you know, from like uh, the the metaverse, you know, where you're just hanging out with friends or, you know, coworkers or something and you're talking freely and openly uh, about your views or, you know, day to day stuff uh, or uh, social media, you know, your direct messages or, or emails or any of that. That's all tracked. And if there's anything in there that the central bank doesn't like, that the, the greater apparatus doesn't like, they'll cut you off. You're, you're a problem. You're going to have to go to re-education, or you're going to have to go... I mean, that, that's what it's going to... You're going to have to quarantine in the case of, of uh, China, um, because you have well, no, no, uh, no, conflicting no, no.
0: ideas. No, 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 no. no see, you're an error there, comrade, so I have to correct you. The vice premier of the Chinese Communist Party spoke this morning at the World Economic Forum and said that there's no problem in China. Everything's back to normal. There's no issue at all. There's, there's no problem with the population. As a matter of fact, he extended an official invitation to their international friends and to the international community to come and visit China at your leisure. And it just so happens that uh, Anthony Blinken, you know, our, our secretary of state, I think he is or, or something like that, he is going to be visiting China in approximately two weeks from now. Uh, he's going to be on an official visit there. It just so happens that he also happens to be the guy that was over the Biden Center at University of Pennsylvania. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm sure that there's no correlation there whatsoever. Bruce, you were nodding your head, are you, are you not? You not anxious to hop on a plane and, and go visit our our international friends over in communist China?
4: Well, uh, I, I was at first going to say he'll come back with some new variant of COVID uh, because you know uh, that's where it originated. Uh, but then I the you you shot that down uh, as you continued because you 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 brought up the fact that uh, the the connections between the Biden administration and China and um, it just reminded me that the the whole that office fiasco with the intel there uh the the top secret documents it just reminded me that that uh, university received more donations from the CCP than any other university in America uh-huh by uh, a large factor actually i think it was like what was it 35 million i'm i'm wanting to say off off the something top of my like head that. something like and, that and
0: who that who they ran were, that yeah. office who who ran that office at university mm. of pennsylvania the biden center there who who ran that it was Anthony Blinken?
4: Mm. yeah yeah so Interesting. Interesting. And they just happen to have uh top secret documents there that uh I, I'm 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 struggling with that one. Uh and this is kind of a bunny trail, but I'm still struggling with the fact that his lawyers were allowed to go through those documents. The president uh, no. of the United States, no. who had basically control over what's uh classified and what's not classified, his lawyers were not allowed to go over his documents in the Mar Lago raid. I'm I'm struggling well, no, to were, No, they were classified. You know. Oh, oh, yeah.
0: You see, Trump's a criminal. (laughs) That's what that's what's going on here. Trump's a criminal. So all right, getting back to this nice, nice uh, rabbit trail we went down there. But getting back to this, uh, this idea of this, this control society, right? This, this biometric prison that they want to build. Everything hinges upon this idea that they're throwing at us now called a 15 minute city. And we discussed this briefly yesterday. Why do you need a car? Why do you need a car? Why do you feel like you need to, to go out and, and pollute and consume oil. Why do you feel like you need to do that? Why do you feel like you need to increase your carbon footprint? Well, there just so happens to be a a gentleman here by the name of uh, Bastian Girard, who is a member of the Swiss National Council. And he's going to tell you why 15-minute city is a great idea.
3: Yeah, so uh, I think uh, what's important for for policy is really to change the the rules of the game, no? So that uh, sustainability becomes the easier choice, not just for the people but also for the companies, no? So I think an important measure in Switzerland was to have uh, support for renewable energy, for energy efficiency, but also then. Um, changing the way districts work. For instance, I, in Zurich, we have a lot of districts where you actually don't need a car because all the activities, no school, um, uh, buying something, everything you can do in walking distance, no? And by doing that, no, people don't buy a car. And it, 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 it's not felt like, um, actually they would like to have a car and that, and they are not allowed to have it, but they simply don't need it because the environment was built in a way that they don't need it. And I think this is what policy needs to, to, to do. They have to change the environment. So a sustainable lifestyle, uh, a lifestyle in harmony with nature is the easiest way to go. And, and also for the companies, no? And, and here perhaps a last point. I really like what you said on following through. We had all these nice commitments. We had the Paris Agreement. We also here at World Economic Forum have every year very nice co- commitments. What's important is really to follow through and also to also shed the light. Sometimes you're very critical with those who are acting. Say there are, and we need to be critical no, and see that there's no greenwashing, but we should also put the light on those who are not acting. And I think policy needs to try. And I think, for instance, Biden's suggestion to that the government only buys with companies who commit to, Paris, who commit to science-based targets, I think that's a smart policy. So that policy tries to leverage also the action from, from companies and somehow gets all companies to act. No? I think this is a smart way to do politics. In the end, policy needs also to be smart because, again, we need to have the buy-in from all the population else we're not re-elected and um, change is not happening, no? Uh, so it needs to be smart policy, which is at the same time also transformative, no?
1: Neither one of you look impressed. Yeah, he, uh, I mean, basically, from what I'm getting from it, from that little talk he gave, he's saying that uh, you, you. it's not like you won't be able to have a car. It's just that we're going to make it so that you won't need one and really what I think he was trying to say, I think he he, was tra- he didn't say this, but I think he was trying to say it's like you won't want one either because they're going to train you not to want one. I think that's really the idea It's basically they're going to make it so penalizing and punishing that, yeah, sure. Theoretically, you could you could have a car, but you, you just you, know, you just won't want one. I think that's that's really what I'm going with
0: it. It all hinges around the fact that you live in a major metropolitan area. Like mm-hmm. they, they haven't these people, none of these people have lived outside of their ivory towers in some city somewhere, some plastic city somewhere. they They've never lived outside of that. They think that they're going to be designing the future based around that, and everything mm-hmm. else becomes irrelevant. They're going to have vertically integrated manufactured food supply places that are owned by Bill Gates. And yeah. that's what they think they're going to sustain things from. And it's it's just nonsense. It's complete nonsense. They don't take into account. It, it does sound awful. It sounds just god-awful, just gray, stagnant,
4: just disgusting is what it sounds like. Well, it's, uh, it's like the uh, map, the... Um What was it? Agenda 20, uh, 21, I believe it was. Yeah. They were hoping Uh, to have that done by 21. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've talked about that map before, and I think we've uh, posted it on telegram before where basically the only place you're allowed to live is in the major cities. You know, you're not allowed to live outside in the rural areas. So, uh, in this case, a car wouldn't be as, um, uh, needed uh, as it were because, um, well, you know, you're, you're, you're all within a 15 minute city. It it was interesting. Uh, some of the things he was pointing out there, I, I have a kick about efficiency and actual green energy, uh, specifically green energy with a blue hue to it, fusion and fission. Uh, currently we have fission, but we're working towards fusion. Great efficiency with that. It's very clean. It's the safest energy source that we have currently. And yet that's one of the things that they're not pushing towards at least not in the US anyway
0: well, um, i think one of the reasons for that is and i you know correct me if i'm wrong the reason that they're not pushing for that is because it doesn't fit with their agenda because it's not quote sustainable so it's not it, it's not one of these sustainable uh, energy sources that they can tout there's no way that yeah. they can talk around that either
4: yeah, yeah that, that, mean, that's that's one of the reasons that they're doing it but to to his point about efficiency if they would get out of the way and allow businesses a free market system to function, it tries to find the most efficient way, inherently. Because as a business owner, I want to make my business as efficient as possible so that I reduce my costs uh, as, as best as possible. So inherently, the system it drives towards more efficiency so if they'd get out of the way and let people uh, you know create and and find these innovations we will become more efficient over time it, it it's they're pushing us into a control mechanism that's that's the entire point of this is they're pushing us into something that they have full control of
1: yeah they, they also don't want more consumption they want less consumption they want less want people to lose, use less resources and because people don't want that because you know they want to live and they want to be happy and they want to be comfortable and uh and so you know basically they have i mean they, they try to spin it as if it's good for you as if they're benefiting you but they, they don't know what no matter how you cut it it's uh, madness, and it's really harming a lot of people, especially low- and middle-income people, which Klaus Schwab himself said, yeah, a lot of low- and middle-income people are hurting right now, you know? Gee, Klaus, I, I wonder why that is. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's take a look at where they
0: want to push everybody. and You know, we've surmised kind of the, the ideas of, of where they want to shove everybody. They want to shove everybody into this metaverse, don't they? They talk about dumping a trillion dollars into the uh, the metaverse, uh, because the, that that's what they estimate by 2025 that it's going to generate. Um, how about you look at reality and stop living in a dream world, and you look at the fact that meta has lost $1 trillion in the last 12 months? How about you look at that statistic? Oh, no, 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 no. we're not supposed to look at that. We can't look at that. But Klaus Schwab, he seems fascinated by this and the capabilities of it. Let's hear what he has to say
2: journey. Um, we, we, we may have seen uh, the first applications. Uh, I have to say for me um, uh, it was uh, first experience to use an avatar, um, but uh, I got so fast, um, accustomed to it, so I'm fascinated by the capabilities which we have. And uh, I know it will take some time, but for me, this. this. This is the next phase, the next big phase of development in the virtual world, and we are very proud that together with our partners, we can work on making the first on creating the first use of this technology for the public good. Klaus, thank you very much. Julie, I mean, Accenture already using the metaverse on quite a massive scale internally. Can you talk a little bit about your engagement with this project and also about the wider applications for the metaverse in business?
3: Great. Well, let's start with business and we'll start with the one number, $1 trillion. So that is what we estimate by 2025, the metaverse will influence in revenue in the private sector. And that really is going to across three big areas. So it's super simple, consumer, enterprise, and industrial.
0: Oh, how convenient all of that is and how seamless they make it sound. I mean, aren't you going to be just filled with excitement when you see an avatar of Klaus Schwab walking up to you in the metaverse? Aren't you going to be happy about that? You see, he was shocked at how, how easy it was for him to just take on that new adventure. And he sees all of that potential there. Weston, in prep, you talked about how they've been designing this, this template for these avatars for decades now. And now they want to upload all of this. And they, I, I guess, for lack of a better term, they, they literally want to push all of this now into this, this digital world. Because, I mean, just as we talked in the last segment about how god-awful and stagnant and gray and, and miserable the real world is that they're making. They want to push everybody into this. To make it seem like it's all flowery and, uh, and a utopia in there, as opposed to the hell that you're going to be living in.
1: And that's just a secondary use of it. I mean, basically, what this is, this metaverse, idea, this, you know, the VR idea, is the, is it's again like the military. has invented you know the technology for its own purposes or intelligence agencies to visit for their own purposes, and then they they make a consumer. They they, re, they repurpose it for the for the general public at large just to make money. The military industrial complex does this all for all sorts of things. I think they did it with the the microwave. They did it with um, you know various kinds of weaponry and so on, and so basically, the, the, what they use it for, what the military has been using it for for decades now, is they use the simulations to uh, to try. They basically ca- capture tons of data about you, about organizations, about you know all sorts of the governments of the world and so on. Uh, you know, various foreign governments, various foreign militaries, and they they create simulations where they try to predict what you, what what you would do if such and such a policy were enacted. Or if some disaster happened, like the water supply was poisoned or something, well, how would you react? How would you react? And that's what the military has been using virtual worlds for. And so, and apparently, Melissa just uncovered a Verge article from 2019 that talked about this sentient project that the um, NRO, NRO National Reconnaissance Office. Is, uh a I think it's I think it's under the Air Force or Navy or something. It's a not a well known agency, but. They've been doing it, you know, they have their own sentient brain project where they're, they're basically trying to create, you know, little uh, sentient use, sentient, you know, they try to, you know, they, and they predict what everybody's trying to, all the different actors in the world are trying to do, you know, and, and I mean, it's classified, so you can't really know that much about it. And I think a lot of the love, the military has a, quite a few different uh, programs. It's not just one or two things, like they, they have a lot, and that's just the U.S. They remind of what all, what all the other countries are doing. And so they have that use for it. Okay, but apparently they, they actually quite like that that use of it a lot because I think the guy from Purdue University, Chatravetti, is his name. He was getting millions of dollars in contracts, and this is one person, one computer scientist person. Never, you know, there's there's hundreds of them, if not thousands, working on these sort of simulations. They're getting lots and lots of money to make them. So you, presumably they, they find these simulations quite effective, unlike the computer models that were given about the about the pandemic and so on, which are, always turn out to be rubbish. But since they've developed all these incredibly complex simulations and they can really, you know, uh, imitate real life quite closely, now they're giving it out to the public. Another thing that was happening, like the ModSim World conferences that, that Melissa and I found on Sunday, as we were looking into more into Shattervedi and Shattervedi's latest paper was was given at the ModSim conference in 2020. It was about, you know, the policy impacts on societal behavior or something, you know, something like, you know, just like Alan would say, that's that's exactly what they use these simulations for. And where they try to predict what you're gonna do before you do it, before any policy, before any policy is interactive. They want to know, okay, how would you react? How okay, who are the people who are gonna be against this and how do we how are they gonna try and counter it? And then they figure, okay, okay, if they do that, then we'll do this, then and then okay, if we did this, okay, how, how then okay, then they well, then what would they do? And then they they run all this stuff long before they enact any policy. That's really what we live under. And you I think uh it's very clear to see with the COVID policies and the widespread adoption. The coercive and how uh you know I think it's in the billions at this point. And the majority of the world has gotten the COVID vaccine, and, and like that's that's on the massive, never been done before scale. Like, how do they get that? How do they make it so successful? Especially when we had so many alternate media voices, you know, come out against it. Um, it's still ongoing, and it, the governments have still have not uh withdrawn it, even though many different uh scientists, leading researchers, have come out and said different professionals they're saying withdraw the vaccine. There's been lots of adverse and yet they're still going on with it. They've run, they've done the simulations. They they've run the scenario. They know what they can get away with, and they, and then you know, and then they. I don't know Neil Ferguson claimed that they didn't realize that the China like lockdown policies that they enacted in Britain would actually work. They didn't think that people would actually obey. But I mean, that was his personal opinion. Well, I, I, personally, I think that the, the you know the intelligence agencies really they really didn't know. Yeah, they, they, yep, they're going to be able to implement. You know, well they, they do. They, they yes, have so much and no.
0: Yes. Yes. And no. As far as like being adopted, I I covered this yesterday because they were talking about that in one of their working papers uh, at the World Economic Forum. They say, well, with the widespread uh, adoption of the covid policies, no, these were not adopted. They were forced because you told people you're going to do this or we're going to fine you fifteen thousand dollars. We're going to throw you in jail. Yeah. That's not adoption. That's forcing you and that's coercing you to do something. You're not Man. going to you're not going to get society reopened until you take this vaccine and you take this passport. Oh, but it doesn't it doesn't stop transmission. It doesn't stop you from uh, from contracting COVID. Well, then what's the point of the passport if that's you the case? You to wear a mask,
1: too. Yeah.
0: yeah, you still have to wear a mask. So, <laughs> it's like, well, then you first you didn't, then you did, and then then you didn't, yeah. and then you had to wear two, and it's just it's just ridiculous. It's it's nonsensical. Yeah. So yeah, I I wouldn't call that adoption, but at the same time, I guess that's not wrong either. because yeah, I mean that's what they figured time. out
1: would work but through their through their simulations. Yeah. I bet you know because they did that they've been to a one and many other pandemic simulation pandemic scenarios that tabletop exercises and so on where they they discussed okay how will this if this happen but well how could we get people to do what we want them to do and so on. But yeah. I mean, there's been, uh, I mean, Dr. Joseph Freeman was one that we had linked to on Sunday. And when Melissa told me to link first, you know, look it up, you know, Louisiana, she said, look, search for Louisiana ER doc calls, you're drawing the COVID-19 mRNA vaccines. And I searched for it on DuckDuckGo, and I'm sure it'd be similar sorts of results for other search engine. Nothing came up with a bunch of ER docs just saying that the vaccine's great. Take the vaccine. But then I searched, but if you go to the news tab in, in DuckDuckGo, finally, I got an Indian, India Times article about the Louisiana ER doc, Dr. Joseph Freeman saying yeah this this needs to be halted we did a study showing that 1 in 800 people are getting adverse uh, events and we and even though it was, when it was just our study when we first came out we, we didn't think it, it warranted withdrawing vaccines but there's been other studies showing similar sorts of results where uh there's there's been tons of uh, adverse events uh, associated with this vaccine and so it should be halted it should be withdrawn from the market and uh it hasn't and I don't think it will because uh and there's so many professionals. The whole time, the whole COVID lockdown, you know, the, you know, the Great Barrington Declaration and so on. There's so many professionals that have come out against all the different COVID policies, and the governments really have not relented at all. Um, I guess they've uh, they've got their, uh, you know. All I can say is that they've, uh, you know, they've really done a great job from their perspective, from their goals. You know, they've really they've disrupted the supply chain. They've, they've lowered people's standard of living. They lowered people. They've, they've restricted people's ability to travel. You know, all these goals that they were wanting was for, as part of the sdgs they're getting uh through the pandemic or at least partially through the pandemic and then of course they're still going to continue with climate change they are still going to continue with sustainability and build to 15 minute actually Scotland is going to do 20- minute cities that recently came out Scotland's going to well, do is 20 it, minutes. is that
0: because the scots can't get somewhere um, in 15 minutes so they have it takes them an extra five
1: is that is that why they're doing I guess it? I guess I don't know why it was, it was 20 instead of 15 I guess they just just looked at their cities and they're like well with the layout if our layout of our city we do not have to rebuild everything so we're like uh, so they're thinking well we'll just make it 20 minutes, you know, it'll work. You know, we'll be able to have every, all the the food, the hospital, school, all within walking distance, you know. Um, Maybe that was it. I really don't know. Maybe. I'm glad you brought that up. We can spend a little bit extra time on this. So the
0: FAA Uh today, the Federal Aviation Administration, has quietly, very quietly, they've released a report saying that uh, EKGs, so the electrocardiograms, that their pilots have to take in order to be approved to fly and, you know, that they're going to be in good shape and everything, you know, to have their, their cardiovascular system checked and their heart checked and everything else. They say that the EKGs of pilots are no longer normal and we should be concerned. Not only should we be concerned, we should be very concerned. Why is that? And then, just as Bruce and I covered last week you've got non-vaccinated pilots that are being bombarded with offers from a lot of those people that are sitting down there in Davos right now that flew in there on their 2000 private jets. They're looking for specifically non-vaccinated pilots and crew. In fact, it is a requirement that you be unvaccinated. Why is that? But, but yet, uh, th- this this FAA report why is mm-hmm. that? And and as you said, the governments they're not they're not letting this one go. They will not let it go. Yeah. And I don't I, I think- don't get why. I, I mean I understand cutting your losses and walking away, but they won't release the states of emergency. Biden actually just extended the U.S. state mm-hmm. of emergency for COVID. Yeah. And I think it goes back to what Ned has talked about time and again, and that's that umbrella. They've got that that mm-hmm. umbrella that security umbrella up. With the states of emergency, every country in the Western world is still, as far as I know, unless something has changed, everyone is still under a state of emergency for COVID. And the reason is, is it it allows them to keep certain restrictions in place. If there's no state of emergency, then that means all the restrictions everywhere have to go. And they're still in place in a lot of places. And they're still pushing jabs in a lot of places. They're still pushing uh, the testing and everything else. If there's no state of emergency, they can't have any of that. None of that can be there. And then once that comes down, then we can start talking about legal accountability. And they don't want any accountability. Yeah. And that is going to remain in place. That's that's going to be one of their, uh, their their bulwarks that they just leave there. And I'm glad you brought that up because I, I told you in prep that I wanted to work this in. And, and since you brought that up, we'll, we'll do this. I want to take yeah. you back to 1976. OK, 1976. This is the seven. Uh, excuse me. This is the 11 o'clock news. In Detroit, Michigan, in 1976, during the first swine flu outbreak, not the one of 2008, 2009, which I fully believe that that was a beta test for what we're dealing with with COVID, but the first swine flu outbreak, and they're discussing the vaccinations that they were giving out for swine flu. Compare what happened then to now. This is Channel 7's 11 o'clock Action
2: News with Bill Bonds, John Kelly, and Detroit's number one news team.
4: Good evening, everybody. I'm Bill Bonds, and here's a look at what's happening tonight. And what's happening is that the swine flu vaccination program ground to a halt from coast to coast today. There have been now 12 reported deaths so far, with victims dying just a few hours after receiving those inoculative shots. All of the victims were elderly persons, and all we are told died of apparent heart attacks. In the state of Michigan, the state health director, Maurice Risen, ordered a stop to all swine flu shots after three Michigan men died hours after receiving their vaccinations. Health officials estimate that 10,000 Michigan people have already received their shots. And President Gerald Ford told ABC television news tonight that he intends to get his vaccination.
0: And I do believe uh, speaking to to people that I that I have spoken to from back then, I do believe that the total number that died as a result of the vaccine that they put on uh, back then was I believe it was 25 was the total number, ended up being the total number that was directly related to someone taking the swine flu vaccine. And they shut it down. After 12, you heard right there, after 12, they shut it down because of heart attacks. I can't keep up with the amount of of cardiac events on a daily basis now. I can't keep up with it. It's, It's beyond my level of comprehension. Every day now, it's at least a dozen that I can see. And I'm sure there's probably more than that. But it's at least a dozen headlines that I see somewhere in the world of someone at a young age, not elderly, at a young age, someone between the ages of hell, we've seen all the way down to, to six years old. And, and well, infants with blood transfusions, but we've seen 18 to, to 39, that age range, somewhere along in there. We're seeing that demographic being hit the hardest. Our demographic, the, the millennial generation, we're seeing that being hit the hardest.
1: Mm-hmm. But you see how far we've we've moved from 1976 till now, yeah, we're much more totalitarian, aren't we? Uh, we're much more. Um, I think Alan said when the pandemic was going to happen, which you know he's talking about, he's talking back like in 2008 or something. He said when the, you're going to see them come out, and they're going to be the the more obvious, you know, the more uh, obvious that they're wrong, that their policies aren't really helping the people, and so on. The more determined, the more uh, dogmatic they're going to be about their policies. you know, like they're not going to allow any debate and stuff like that because. They know darn well it's not benefiting, it's actually heart hurting the people. And, but they can't, you know, and they're not going to, and, and that's what they want. And they're not, not going to relent because, you know, it's doing what they want. And you have no power. You're just a peon. You're just a general public. And they just ran things through. And it's you, whereas, you know, back in 1976, we had still at least. I don't think we had true democracy, but we had like a, they they had, there was much more of a appearance effort to keep up appearances and to make sure that the public at least believed that the government was good and, and was was generally there to help, you know, whereas they don't even, you know, bother much with that anymore so much because uh, really we we're, we're, we got much more advanced surveillance, first of all. In fact, with COVID policy, part, part of the COVID emergency powers is that they can or surveillance with the apps and so on. That you can and Again, it's come out already. We linked an article to that on Sunday, saying that they're using the data that they're collecting from these apps, not just to see if you have COVID or just to track COVID people. They're, they're using it to track all sorts of criminals and so on, the, the police agencies and so on. So, um, you know, the government's just, you know, taking advantage of it. And uh, because we're in such a much, we, we have the computer and internet and everything, you know, tracking, We're so surveillance does part, so they feel much more safer because they know who we are and they know exactly what we're doing at all times, pretty much uh or where we are at all times at the very least so that's part of the reason why Then maybe we have more totalitarianism i think a, a large part of it is, you know we've been worked on for decades uh, you know the, the uh with um the drugs and and the, just the culture in general is a lot worse we've had increase in autism you know we've had you know food supplies not as you know we've had all sorts of gmo foods forced on us fluoride in the water has been for decades now uh we had Let's see what else we we, we you know the childhood inoculation, especially in the United States. The United States, I think, has more childhood inoculations than any other country. We've had uh, uh, basically we've just lost lots of freedom. Really, is what's happened. It's no longer the good old days. I don't know how else to put it. even though like even the good old days they were not necessarily good old days, but they were. You still had some freedoms. You know, you still you still could you know go out and travel wherever you wanted. You know, you could uh, say whatever you wanted. Pretty much. Um, you could uh, you know you, you could wear what you want you didn't have to wear a mask anywhere I don't think there was a mask masking policy although I allegedly during the 1918 flu I think they did have masking at that the, but even then like it didn't last for anywhere near as long as uh, COVID has now like it's been we're going on three years now um, so yeah it's, it's that that's the news clip thank you for uh, link for showing us that uh, I think it's you know very telling I mean you could just the comparison between then and now is just Ah, you know.
0: Yeah, and um. I just so happened to have a uh, a photo here from the uh, the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic, and as you can see, back then, just like today, it didn't affect the upper class. The masks, mm-hmm. so wow. they didn't have to yeah. wear them any more back then than they did today. Not surprising. Big goose. Uh huh. Bruce, you want to uh, you want to jump in there because I have one last clip of Klaus that I would like to play. Uh, would you prefer that I do that first, or would you like to uh, to comment uh, on everything thus far?
4: Uh, I, I was just going to throw in a little bit with the the, the COVID uh, rhetoric uh, that that's going on right now with the elite, um, and, and comparing it to the the 1970s video you had there. One of the other things that they were they were talking about with in comparing, which by the way, real quick, I, I did a quick run on the numbers that was. Uh, basically one in a thousand uh basically it's 0. 0.12 uh percent from the numbers that they gave the ten thousand people took the jab uh they had 12 deaths that's not that that doesn't even it, it, come close to what how many people to, had uh, taken it and had adverse effects and those kind of things even just adverse effects is enough to to shut down a vaccine uh in past days um, whereas this one we have millions of people around the world that are maimed because of this jab and they're still pushing it they're still telling you you have to go out there and get the jab so yeah but uh we even have nowadays we have constitutional uh lawyers uh basically saying the government can go in technically and jab you by force the the constitution more or less protects them because the constitution doesn't really address that and i i just wanted to point out that this particular lawyer He's missing the fact that the federal government does not have that say, number one. Um, it's technically all powers not given to the federal government is given to the state. And mm-hmm. when you look at the uh, preamble to the the Constitution, it says health is something that government can give advisory roles to. Like they can advise you on health. They cannot force you to do things. Um, uh, as the Declaration says... Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life entails medical procedures, in my opinion, uh, because you know things that pertains to your body. That's that's your life. That that's so. The government has no say over that, in my opinion. But it's it's as you as you pointed out, Weston, how much things have changed from back then. You had the illusion of more freedoms back then than we do now, and. I, I think that was one of the things that they understood back then is that the government doesn't have control over your body. Because uh, yeah. basically what this constitutional lawyer is saying, you're a slave to the government. That's basically what he's he's saying. And uh, the, the uh, news he was on, of course, did not push back or ask any other further questions or anything on that um, idea. Yeah. And, and
1: don't make his own mistake. You are a slave if they can force you to take, you know, some, inject something into your body. I mean... Because not only could they possibly kill you, I mean, they could lobotomize you. And in fact, that's, you know, what Alan has talked about many times is that's probably one of the reasons why they push vaccination in general so hard. You know, who knows what else they could, I mean, they could modify, now they have, they have this mRNA technology where they can edit your genes or affect how your genes are expressed or something, you know, you know, or like, you know, different uh, genetic uh, gene therapy, I guess is what this called, techniques that they can use now. So really this is a, uh, you're modified however they want to modify you. And you, that means you have very little say over your life. If you can't, ref, you know, refuse to take something into your body.
0: I think it's also fascinating the, uh, the, the way that this agenda has been and is continuing to play out. If you go back to the start at its inception, so lockdowns, right? First, they had to scare the hell out of everybody to force everybody into a lockdown situation, right? Once you were there, your perception was monopolized. You had all dissenting voices or a goodly percentage of them shut down. Everybody that was talking against the narrative and everything else, they were all taken off of the usual tech platforms, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Google, you removed from search results and everything else. You guys, I think before even what was it, like two years ago, you guys were canceled before all of this. You guys caught the very like the first round of uh, of cancellation before COVID even started. But that just served as a as a bellwether for what was to come. And I believe that it'll continuously get worse as, as these people continue to to fail going forward. But you had the the lockdowns, and, and Klaus even mentioned that that you had the lockdowns that were a major part in the breaking of the supply chains. Okay, well, let's go from the lockdowns. They use the lockdowns to do what? To force you to take a vaccine against your will because they dangled the little carrot out there in front of you saying, well, if you want things to open up, this is what you've got to do. Don't think about just yourself. Think about everyone else, right? Once they got that turned on, right? Once they they turned on the fear, and that's what it was. They scared you into compliance. I don't think that the fear that they used then is going to be anything compared to the fear that they're going to instill in people that have taken it as in what's going to happen to them since they've taken it you notice now that things are starting to come out they can't hide the bodies anymore they're piling up out in the open now the freezers are (laughs) they're crammed full in the morgues so now they're just dropping dead on the streets that's a problem that's a big problem and then of course they're still pushing the jabs because that's what they do. They never admit fault. They always double down, just like a degenerate gambler. Never forget that. I think the the campaign of fear going forward, planting that doubt into someone's mind about, oh my God, what did I do? What decision did I make? What, what brash decision did I make? Not thinking about it. Just wanting things to go back to normal. I just wanted my freedom back. I just wanted to go on vacation. Of course, they're going to give you one last vacation. Of course they are. Why not, right? Because you're not going to be creating that carbon footprint much longer. Never forget what Klaus Schwab said early 2022 about our generation, the millennial generation. Because what did he say? What did he say when he had Justin Trudeau up there on the stage? The new world that we're going to build is going to be a young world. It's going to be a digital world. Well, to do that, you've got to get rid of everybody that's not young, right? Of course, they've had really, really bad problems with the younger kids, you know, the school kids, the ones that are dropping dead after gym class, those. Yeah, you're having multiple casualties there. And then, of course, you're seeing the largest uptick in casualties in the 18 to 39 demographic or 18 to 40 demographic. We're experiencing our our demographic, our millennial generation. We are experiencing a Vietnam War every 12 months. Do you understand that? As in casualty rights. Does that wake you up? Is that a cause for concern to anybody? Does that resonate with anybody? Oh, no, 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 no. Monday Night Football's on, right? Never forget what Klaus Schwab said to our generation specifically. Waves
2: of lockdowns and the stresses of finding work or returning to workplaces have even amplified the existential and often silent mental health crisis. So what should you do? You the millennials and the generation set. what should you do differently? Most immediately, you are calling for the international community to safeguard vaccine equity to respond to COVID-19 and prevent future health crises. Nobody will be safe if not everybody is vaccinated don't do it for yourself do
1: it for everyone else i certainly the elite won't feel safe until everybody's vaccinated that's for sure at least all the that's true that is true we are out of time today we're going to have to call this
0: one done Weston, I want to thank you for being here today. Again, Weston from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. I encourage all of our listeners to go over and give their website a look, and please do support them if you can. It's been an absolute pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you both for being here this evening. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless all of you, and have a great evening.